Because if you ever had that moment, I'm curious, where you either got someone a gift that you just felt like wasn't even in the same stratosphere as what they got you, or someone got you a gift and you were like, I really didn't get you anything at all, and you just felt about this big. Anybody ever been in that position before? Just felt terrible because you're like, wow, that was really thoughtful. That was really amazing. That was like, whoa, just blown away by how good a gift was. You've been there? And you just kind of feel bad, right? Because there's this weird thing that we've kind of developed where we kind of lost sight of what a gift was, right? Because this, especially this time of year, there's kind of a give and take expectation. Are we doing gift exchange at the get together? If we're doing a gift exchange, I want to make sure I have something. If we're not doing a gift exchange, I want to make sure I don't bring something and make people feel bad because, you know, it's got to be an even kind of give and take so no one feels bad, no one's feelings gets hurt, whatever. And it's kind of like, but a gift is one of those things you just give freely without expectations of getting something back, isn't it? Anybody have that family get-together where there's like a $20 limit and everybody gets something for somebody except no one knows what anybody wants? They're like, where do they shop? Okay, they shop there and you shop there, so we all get each other a $20 gift card. We just could have kept our $20 bills, right? Yeah. And I'm not putting anybody down. If you do that, you know, I get it. It is the way things are anymore. But that idea of a gift being something that just knocks your socks off, something that's just cool instead of just like, you know, this exchange where it's like, here's the pile of gifts, everybody. It was real thoughtful. I'll let you get what you want to get. Because when I say I'll let you get what you want to get, it means I'll just let you get something you need or let you get something, whatever, without me having to put much thought into who you are, what would bring joy to you, what would bring excitement to you. I've gotten some of those gifts before where it's like, and I'm, when I was a little younger and really into movies and working at the video store, I got the box set of The Godfather. I hadn't put that on any kind of list or anything. Somebody just got me that. And yeah, exactly. She's winking because she knows it was her. And... And I was like, this is awesome. I love these movies. I was excited. This is a cool thing I hadn't thought of, but I like this is perfect. I love this. At another time, like the box set of the, uh, um, all the Chronicles of Narnia books, you know, like I love those stories and I didn't have those books and the whole box set. I'm like, this is super cool. It's not something I thought of for myself, not anything I put on a list, but someone knew me, knew what I enjoyed, knew what would get me excited and got me something that would just really light up my day, right? And still, obviously, is uh, something I remember at this point, right? Memorable. So when we talk about that kind of gift and what kind of special thing it is versus just the need to kind of make a transaction, right? Because this is what we're doing in this setting. We kind of remember this goodness of a gift is offering something freely without anything or asking for anything in return, giving something that we really would bring joy and hope and peace and goodness. And then we step into the season that we're in and we talk about a manger and a baby and this beautiful gift. And we often say, don't forget that Christmas isn't just about the exchange of gifts. It's not just about all of this stuff. The reason for the season is still Jesus, this baby born in a manger. This good and perfect gift that is more than we ever realized we needed. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that amazing gift. I said this is probably one of the easier ones to make a jump from Christmas to what we've been talking about. But it feels like an odd transition. We're talking about the amazing gift of Jesus. But the weight of why He is such a good gift weighs a little heavy on us. It almost brings a little bit of sadness, and yet that sadness 
can bring a little bit of peace. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. But before we get too far into these next passages of Scripture, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I'm so beyond grateful for you and your gift. The perfect gift of the Word made flesh that came to dwell among us. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And Father, I think about the things we talk about, the things we celebrate, and I think about how we are as a people who just get into the routine, into the habit. We get used to the customs and the traditions and the way we do things, and we just let certain words and certain phrases just kind of glide right over us. Father, I pray that this morning you would help us to sit in the weight of your word, that you would help us to sit in the beauty of your gift in a way that truly allows us to be overwhelmed with joy, overwhelmed with peace, overwhelmed with hope, knowing that we have a Savior who loves us. We trust you. We just give this time to you, and I pray that you would speak into our hearts this morning. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. So we talk about this gift, we talk about the good things that are coming, we are discussing a lot of things, but this first passage I want to kind of, there we go, um, hit this morning is a prophecy, right? It's a familiar passage that we would see around this time of year, a prophecy leading towards this idea that something is coming, this good gift is coming. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How many of us say, I've heard that one before, right? Good. Familiar. Then there's other prophecies and other passages that talk about this coming Messiah, this coming baby, that are a little less familiar sometimes, okay? This is in Micah chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old and of ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she, who is in labor, has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure from now, or for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And we love these kind of passages, right? This idea of this baby being born, this proclamation of one who's coming, who's going to rule Israel, who's going to be this great shepherd, who's going to bring about peace and be their peace. And we love that. This time of year, it's like this season of joy and season of giving and season of just feeling good. And there's all this great prophecy and it just makes us happy, makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. But, but the reality is, is that there's other prophecies that talk about this coming Messiah. This one who's to come, and they feel a little heavier. In fact, our memory verse is one of those prophecies, one of those statements this week. If you've looked ahead, you know. It says this, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. We're still talking about this coming peace but the words around it are a little less happy, right? And with his wounds, we are healed. This week's um, kind of title for our chapter is Atonement. And we talk about this idea of atonement and what that means. It's really uh, a phrase that 
um, kind of ma- means making things right. Uh, the actual definition is um, uh, reparation for a wrong or an injury. But if you go down and kind of look at it through that biblical lens, it's the reconciliation of God and humankind through Jesus Christ, right? Reconciliation with God and us. What does it mean to atone? It means to make things right. And the reality is, is that we know, as we look around the world, Christmas is a thing that makes us feel good because in some ways it's sort of like a break from all the crazy, right? This year and last year we've spent a lot of time talking about, oh no, like ugh, the weight of the last two years has been heavy. We're feeling the weight of the last years. Tessa sent me a little meme the other day. It was just a laugh at it. She goes, that moment when you realize that 2022 is pronounced 2022, like 2020 again. Um, it takes a minute to sink in. You got to kind of see it spelled out. I probably should have put it on the screen. 2022 is pronounced 2022. And I'm like, that's the kind of stuff people are joking about because we've all felt the weight of the last couple of years and just the frustration and the exhaustion. And it's nice to have some sort of sense of like joy and peace. And let's just forget about that for a minute and let's be happy and let's like sing around the Christmas tree and let's do some stuff. But I've had some people just tell me like, it's just been hard to get in the mood this year. Been hard to get like in the festive spirit. And we talk about all of the brokenness and we feel all the weight of the brokenness and we know that there's this struggle and we know that that means and what that is is really just symptoms and signs of how broken and how far apart and how messed up our relationship with God is. Because We know in the garden, we talked about this earlier this year, that there was this moment where this separation began, where we now were in this broken relationship that needs to be mended. And we know that there's this promise coming of one who will correct that and fix that. But we still feel the tension, even though Jesus comes to resolve that, even though it's been dealt with, and we'll talk about that in a second, we still feel the weight of the brokenness. Because if we're not living in that relationship with God, if we're not seeking that hope and that presence we've talked about over the last few weeks, our lives still reflect the brokenness, right? We have to choose to repent and, and pursue relationship with God. It's, it's a pick up your cross daily and come follow me sort of mentality. And as we do that, we slowly start to get better at bearing that image and being who he has called us to be. But when we ignore him, when we continue to reject him, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, we continue to live at enmity with God and we say, no, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be like him. I'm not going to reflect that. And we still feel the weight of the brokenness. And we know it exists We know we want to choose our own way. We know we want to go our own path. We know we want to make our own decisions and be in control of ourselves. But we know we need to surrender that over to Him. In the Old Testament, there wasn't this idea that Jesus was there to atone, right? This Savior had not come. We're waiting for that. So what does God give them? He gives them this system of sacrifice. And how does sacrifice work? They go and they take different sacrifices depending on different things. But for atonement, there are these lambs, right? Sacrificial lambs that are sacrificed. In fact, in the period of time where Jesus lives and walks, they're doing daily sacrifices twice a day, one in the morning and one in the evening at the temple every day to make atonement for the sins of Israel. Okay, And then there are different times throughout the year where people would go and make their own sacrifices, going to pick up a lamb to have it slaughtered and killed on their behalf, bearing their weight of their sin that 
Honestly, you have fallen short, you have sinned, you're living a life that's apart, and for that, there needs to be this penalty, this payment. And so these animals kind of stand in the place of the people, and the shedding of this animal's blood makes atonement and makes things right with God. But you'll notice they're doing it daily. That like, there's, there's still the opportunity to fail and fall short. There's not this once and for all, always and forever kind of sacrifice. It's consistent and constant. And you've got to understand that the following of God is not because He's evil or brutal and demanding that all these lambs be slaughtered. It's the reality that we as a people are broken and constantly failing and falling short. And that it takes constant sacrifice to keep things in order with God. And even then, we still fail and fall short. We were not capable of keeping up. We were not capable of succeeding. And it's heartbreaking to see this ongoing struggle of people who try their best to follow the law, try their best to do all the right thing, but there still needs to be this atonement. So many lambs being sacrificed to make things right. And then there's this idea of the blood being spread around to purify, and there's all this ritual and all this routine and all this sacrifice that goes into what it means to follow. Now, I want to talk about this for just a second because I've, I've been studying, I've been wrestling with some interesting stuff this over the last couple of weeks. And I was in Tennessee once upon a time. I went to some sort of conference. I don't remember what it was, to be honest. I remember I was there speaking with this guy that day, and he was teaching some stuff on prayer. But he talked about going to the Holy Lands. And he made a statement about the trough, uh, you know, the troughs that they have in the stables, the mangers. And he said those weren't food troughs. Those weren't something the sheep ate out of. And I was like, I've never heard that before. And I didn't think much about it. I mean, he was talking about what they were, and I, I was, hadn't thought about it in a long time, but as we were coming up on atonement, as we're talking about this sacrificial system, I, I remembered those words, and I started looking it up, okay? I started wrestling with some stuff, and I started to find out that these mangers, these stone mangers, we get the baskets, we get the little wooden structures that we say is a manger, honestly, like some, a lot, probably looked like this, okay? And regardless, there's some mixed theories and ideas on the subject. Some people think this is a watering trough. Cool. Put water in it. There it is. The drink out of the watering trough, right? Makes sense. It's, uh, you know, not going to leak that much, right? We probably put water in the wooden one. It's probably not going to work out so well, right? Because usually I find all those slats prob- problematic. I mean, that's why we see hay in those. And it's a feeding trough, a watering trough. But the reality is, is that these basins were kind of based off this other idea of something that was going on in this area. You see Bethlehem was right outside of Jerusalem, right? Near Jerusalem, not that far away. And there's where David was raised, right? That's where David grew up. He's from Bethlehem, the city of David, where Mary and Joseph have to go to, for the census, and they're going to look for a place to stay. And in the midst of all the things that are happening here, one of the things I'm starting to research and dig around a little bit, and there's some differing opinions on exactly what this was. Some people say that this is a place outside of, right outside of Bethlehem, right outside of Jerusalem, all right here together. There was this tower once upon a time called Midgal Eder. Okay? And some people think this is, we know in Genesis, this is where um, uh, Joseph and Benjamin's mother was buried when she passed away. Okay? It's referenced as early as Genesis. But people say it's kind of in this area and that eventually it becomes this tower that 
is used for defense for a lot of reasons, but ultimately becomes this place that David reinstates when his reign and rule are going on, that he kind of takes and makes this a place where the temple flocks to be raised because it's high ground. The shepherds can tend to their flocks and abide over their flocks and literally be on high ground watching over their flocks, you know, and watching all of these sheep. Plus, they have this stronghold so that if a mother is about to birth a young lamb, the shepherds could then pull this sheep back into this stronghold place, this kind of stone cave kind of area to protect it from any kind of predators as it gives birth. Because keeping the lambs pure and spotless is an important thing for sacrificial system, right? We have to continually be pumping out these young lambs for this sacrificial system. It's a big deal. Plus, we've got to have a large enough flock and enough to kind of keep the flock going so that we can keep producing more lambs, right? This is quite a production here. And David has taken this place, and supposedly there's some people who view it a little differently and say, well, that's not the exact same place. Regardless, from what I can tell, it seems like this is definitely the place where shepherds tended to the temple flock. Whether this tower or this stronghold was part of it or not, it seems like this area is where the temple flock is being raised. And there are spaces where these safe births would have had to have been an important part of what was going on. And what would happen is whenever these lambs are born, these shepherds would bring them in, you know, have them safely birthed here in this space, and then some priests or other people who are responsible for this would come in to check this lamb to see if it was worthy of sacrifice. Because remember, these lambs have to be spotless and without blemish. And so what they would do is put them up in a safe place like this, a manger, up in this stone slab so they couldn't thrash around, and they would actually wrap them in linen strips of cloth, like swaddling a little lamb. And they would place them here and inspect them to see if they are truly spotless. They don't want them to break any bones. They don't want them to be hurt or injured because that means they can't be used in sacrifice. And so as they wrap them up and put them here, then they continue to transport them on to where they will ultimately be sacrificed in this kind of space. Now I'm reading that and I'm hearing that and I'm thinking that and I'm saying... Can you imagine the idea that this whole area where Mary and Joseph have just gone is where these massive temple flocks are raised, are taken care of? And the shepherds that watch over their fields by night in this area are shepherds who are very familiar with sacrificial system. They're very familiar with what this manger is used for. They're very familiar with those strips of linen that are kept in that cave for a very specific purpose. And can you imagine those same shepherds, right? Oop, maybe. I got the big button, but it didn't want to click. There we go. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Where? I find it interesting, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, maybe I'm making too much of it. But if I think about all these things, and if they are true, 
and the angels give the instruction to these shepherds, he just says, you'll find a baby lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, and this will be a sign for you. Because you above all people should know what that manger's for. You above all people should know what those linen cloths are for. And you're going to find a baby wrapped in these things, lying in a manger, waiting. The perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb that will atone for the sins of all people once and for all. You know what? Maybe that's not what the manger was for. Maybe it was a water trough. Maybe the linen cloth was just what Mary and Joseph brought along because they were expecting and they had a baby shower and they got a bunch of swaddles like I did and that's just what they put him in, right? It's possible. You know, it's significant that stone is also something that like stone is one of those materials that can't be made impure. Like, you know, if things come like wood, you have to go through a process to make wood pure again. Stone, no, you're good. You just wash it off and it's all right. Didn't take on impurity. And so you just think about this idea of like, it just kind of, there's so many little pieces of this. It just makes sense. And some people argue. Some people say that's not what was going on. That's not exactly. But here's my point. It does not matter whether that's 100% accurate or not. Because what is 100% accurate is that baby in that moment, whether the shepherds fully realized what was happening, whether they could recognize the imagery, we can look back at it right now and say, this will be a sign to you. In that same region where the temple flocks were raised, where sacrificial lambs were born, where David tended to his flocks, there is coming a Savior who will atone for the sins of the world, who will be a final and ultimate sacrifice for you that will require you to no longer have to ever sacrifice anything else except for of yourself, like giving yourself over and surrender to God. You're not going to have to kill any sheep. You're not going to have to do any of that kind of stuff. You're simply going to have to trust Him and follow Him because of what He offers to you. Once and for all, it's going to be dealt with. We can look at that and know that in that moment, something incredibly amazing was happening. A baby who is God Himself, God made flesh, come to dwell among us, was born to die. I told the ladies when they decorated, I was like, I'm not sure you know how appropriately you decorated this year. Because here at the foot of this cross is this little baby in a manger. And from the very get-go, Jesus came to show us the way. He came to offer us life. But He came to atone for our sins to be the payment of death, to cover the penalties of our sins once and for all, because we were never going to be able to pay that debt on our own. And so Christmas is a time of celebrating peace and joy come into the world. But that peace and joy come in this quiet moment where I just can't help but think, what if there were shepherds who saw this heavenly host and were afraid and said, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And it will be a sign for you. And they walk in and say, why is the baby lying in the, the thing where we put the sheep that are going to go die? Why is the baby wrapped up like the sheep that we're going to send out to die? Because the baby is going to live a life. He's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be pierced for our transgressions. He was going to be crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
Have you ever gotten a gift that you feel like you didn't deserve? And you feel like you didn't get somebody else a gift in return. They just gave you something freely that you really needed or really wanted or really grateful for. And you feel about this big because you didn't feel like you deserved that good of a gift from them. Oh, the answer is yes for all of us. Whether somebody gave us a cool Christmas present or not. Because the ultimate gift was given in that manger a Savior born to face the cross, to face ridicule, to face chastisement, to bear our wounds and our transgressions because we were never going to be able to pay that debt ourselves. There was no way for us to give a gift that was ever going to be worthy. There was no way for us to ever find a way to repay what needed to be repaid. And so God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, sent him to Bethlehem, had to run for his life in those early years because as the wise men showed up, Herod's like, hey, show me where that guy's at. I, you know, I'd like to go worship him too or eliminate the competition and therefore we have to flee to Egypt. And we come back and there's all this process of life that's lived out and this story that's lived out. And then we find out, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, all the rejection, all the pushing back. And then we still come to today and we say, have I received or am I still rejecting? Do I realize and recognize the goodness of this gift of atonement in my life? Do I recognize the sign that was born to bring peace into the world? Do you remember that Micah passage and how it ended? And he shall be their peace. Chastisement that brought us peace. And I feel like this idea of a baby being born to die does not settle with my, me as peace, right? If you knew someone was being born to die in your place, would that make you feel peaceful? No. But why does it bring peace? Because it was done, it is accomplished, and it is forever accomplished, and you no longer have to fear or worry about trying to make up to God what you failed. Do you realize that today you can be without shame or guilt or fear of punishment? Perfect love, which Jesus demonstrated in his atonement for our sins, casts out all fear because fear is associated with punishment and we no longer have to be afraid of punishment. Yet we constantly talk about our faith and live in such a way where we're afraid of punishment. If I mess up, God is going to send me straight to hell. And he's saying, no, I so love the world that I sent my only son so that he could die for you, so he could pay your penalty, and that if you would just trust in me, I would give you life eternal. I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Stop living like I'm constantly looking to destroy you the moment you step out of line. Receive and realize the goodness of the best gift you've ever been given that you could never, ever earn or give back in return. Ever. And live with joy and peace in knowing that He said you are worthy of that gift. It makes us uneasy because we live in a culture and we live in a mindset where, well, I just feel so bad. I didn't get you anything. I feel so bad. That's such a nicer gift than you got me. I feel so bad. I feel so bad because we are a people who feel like we've got to earn it. We've got to make it equal. We've got to make it even. We can't let anybody's feelings be hurt. And Jesus is saying, you literally could have done nothing, so I did it for you. Rest in peace, knowing that I am in control and that I have taken care of it. And it is okay because I love you so much I would do anything for you. Rest in peace. Rest your head 
and calm and still and know that I am good. Do not fear because I bore all of the transgression. I bore all the chastisement. I took on everything on myself so that you wouldn't have to. Live in reverence and fear like we talked about last week. Realize the goodness of that gift and walk forward in wisdom and how you follow me and how you take those steps to be completely and wholly mine. But receive the gift of my atonement, the gift of my goodness, the gift of my one and only Son, God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Receive this gift. It's hard for us. It's uncomfortable for us. It's not how we operate, right? Got to be fair. It's got to be even. Got to be 20 for 20. But there's nothing you can do except because God has given us this gift, He eliminated the barriers of transgression in our lives. He eliminates this separation. We no longer have what was getting in the way, what was hindering us in the way. It's been atoned for. It's been made clear. Everything is right. That relationship has been fixed. And now I have the gift and the opportunity to do one simple thing. I surrender in your presence and I will follow you anywhere. Because I realize you are good. Anyone who would give me a gift like that is someone I can be around. If I lay down my guilt and my shame and my fear and I'm not worthy and all that other nonsense that the enemy feeds into our heads to try to lie to us, to get us to just be stuck in a stalemate of fear and not following, then he's one and we're missing out on the gift. But if we actually truly believe the gift is what it says it is, it's not the package that you opened up and it says, oh, a new radio, and you open it up, it's like, no, it's a sweater in a radio box, you know, like whatever, you know, we do that stuff. This is, not a, this is not a gotcha gift, right? It's not one of those joke boxes that they stuck something else inside. No, this is exactly what it's presented to be. If you can believe that and trust that and take steps to surrender to and follow in that, he has promised to be with you. He's promised to take care of you, provide for you. It doesn't mean it won't be hard at times. It doesn't mean it won't be a challenge at times. But it means he will be with you and just as good with you in those moments as he was with you and for you in that moment of his sacrifice on that cross for our atonement. I mean, is that not the most joyful news ever? It is, unless we buy the lies. When we buy the lies, we go, man, I just feel so guilty. I feel so terrible. I feel so, okay. But if you can trust that it is what it says, it is, if he's, he is what he says he is, if you can trust that he's giving you what he says he's giving you, this is the best gift ever and a reason for peace, a reason for joy, a reason for hope, a reason to be celebrating no matter how rough the year has been. Because no matter how much this world has fallen apart, no matter how much this world is each other's throats, no matter how rough our family dynamic has gotten, no matter what hardship we're facing, no matter what struggle we've been through and endured, God is still with us and God is still good and God has still atoned for us in a way that gives us free access to His presence and His goodness forever. And that cannot be taken away no matter how rough all the other circumstances get. And that is a reason to celebrate. That is a reason to be filled with joy and peace and hope. If you would bow your heads with me.
I just encourage you for a quiet moment to be honest with yourself and to pray honestly before God and ask Him, am I buying the lies and living in fear of punishment and guilt and shame, or do I trust the goodness of your gift of atonement that came through Jesus and His birth on that cross? His birth in Bethlehem and His death on that cross. Do I believe it? Or am I still living in the lie that makes me fearful, like I don't deserve it, like I, I could never live up to it? Like I, you're right, but uh, do I have peace in the goodness of your gift? Let's pray and ask God. And then just take a moment regardless of where you are, regardless of how much you trust that truth, regardless of what it is, just to say thank you and celebrate the goodness of who God is and the goodness of the gift He would offer to you. To receive that gift and to celebrate Him and thank Him and give Him honor and glory for the goodness of the gift that He's given us. Father, it becomes so easy week in and week out, day in and day out, to hear words like atonement, to hear words like salvation, to hear words like Savior and Emmanuel and all the other things that we just kind of casually mention and move on, and we don't let the reality and the weight of what they are sink in and just rock our world. Father, the goodness of your gift is still bigger than my mind can wrap around. And part of that, Father, is I don't slow down enough sometimes to realize the goodness of your gift. And so, Father, regardless of what that manger was used for, I thank you for sending your Son as a sacrifice of atonement for us, for sending him as, as that pure and spotless Lamb. As Revelation says, the one who can open the scroll, the one who can take care of what needs to be taken care of. We thank you for sending the only one who could accomplish what needed to be done on our behalf. And I pray that the weight of your goodness, the weight of your love would just wash over us and that we would be taken away by it and unable to do anything but fall at your feet in praise and worship and surrender and a desire to follow you wherever it is you would lead us. Because no matter how far we follow you, no matter how much we surrender, no matter how much we give, Father, it would never be enough to pay back the debt that you gave us the gift of the debt. Father, I just thank you so much for what you accomplished. And so, Father, I just pray in this moment, as we continue to worship, as we come to the table, as we do all the things from here on out, that it would be a time for us to continue leaning into your presence and to respond to your presence. I pray that it would be time for us to celebrate and rejoice. I pray that it would be a time for us to surrender and fall at your feet. Father, whatever it is we need to do in these next moments, I pray that you would give us the courage to do that. I love you. It's in the precious name of Jesus I pray.